0: Today's show is brought to you by Zip Recruiter, the presenting sponsor of Recode Media. Zip Recruiter's powerful technology finds people with the right experience for your job and actively invites them to apply so you get qualified candidates fast. And now our listeners can try it for free at ziprecruiter.com slash Peter. Today's show is brought to you by Hilton. Restaurant or room service, what would the boss do? Either way boss would choose Hilton Hotels and Resorts to get down to business. And a little pleasure. Check out Hilton Hotels and Resorts and travel like the boss. This is Recode Media with Peter Kafka. That is me. I'm part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. I'm recording this at Vox Media headquarters in New York City. I'm here with John Skipper. Hey, John.
1: Hey. You never say anything about recording this. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> we <laughs> no, normally stream it live, uh-huh. but... Uh, in this case, we'll do it on demand. Hello. Hello. Last time I talked to you in a public setting, you mm-hmm. were running ESPN. You had mm-hmm. that job until, I think, December of last year. Mm-hmm. You have like a variety of titles now. Do you want to list uh, them all,
1: or, or do you want to explain the most important no, one? No, no. The only title I hold is um, Executive Chairman of the Dazon Group. Okay. I thought there was PERFORM, and there, it's very
0: confusing because there's an acronym, mm-hmm. and there's also a holding company, and... Uh, but you're, you're would running you, Would you
1: like for me to uh, clear up all this confusion we, we will, as we'll, simply as possible? Yeah, go for it. So I'm chairman of the DAZN Group, which is a holding company for a variety of sports media entities, which we've recently divided into two groups, one called Perform Content, which is a business-to-business uh, operation, and one which is now called DAZN Media, which is business-to-consumer and consists entirely of the not entirely, it consists principally of the over-the-top streaming services that we do around the world. So you, you may be seeing or have seen references
0: to something called D-A-Z-N, which you're seeing, which, which I'm told by you and others is, is pronounced DAZN. It's
1: confusing. Uh, it's pronounced DAZN. All right. Um, in whatever part of the world you're in. Less so okay. confusing in some parts than the other. And um, I would also stress, so I, the holding company, yeah. uh, has a board. I'm chairman of the board. But it's an operating role, and I run the company with Simon Denyer, who is the founder and CEO, and um, he has taken on the role of CEO of the DAZN group, but remains on the board. I feel like and, we should have a footnote somewhere, and we can have an org chart, and uh, people can go look all this oh, up. Oh, I just but, thought we cleared up yeah, now. Yeah, it's perfect. So, uh, we make it easy. It's actually not very complicated, but what we wanted to make sure we did was organize the company in such a way that we could have a management group in place of each of these two divisions that we could have the resources we need to grow both divisions and so the businesses to some extent could operate autonomously in the market. So the reason this is
0: one of the reasons this is confusing to me and and news to a lot of people is that this is one this is a company that's
1: not based in in this country mm-hmm. uh, and two it's relatively new. Uh, the overall company itself is not that new. It was founded in 2005. What's new is the zone part and the launching the over-the-top services. And you made an important point I'd like to emphasize. We are brand new the United States. Yeah. We launched in September 22nd, the, um, the 22nd of September. We've been in business with a number of U.S. entities for many years, mostly out of the business-to-business group. We are quite well-known in other parts of the world. We are here to begin to establish a brand identity, but we're quite aware. Uh, I don't know if it's a matter of confusion. It's yeah. a matter of just lack of awareness. We have not had the Dazone brand in this country before uh, September 22nd, and we're here now. So. so I want to talk about the product and what you're doing there, but, but I just
0: want to back up a little bit. Mm-hmm. You used to run ESPN biggest, most powerful player in sports, you helped make it that. Now you are are helping to run a, a, a much smaller sports streaming service, mm-hmm. sports service. Um, how is your
1: life different now than it was last November or last December? I am very excited about being in the role of running a rapidly growing company. I've been in the role of disruptor, competitor, uh, before I did uh, work at Spin, uh, when Rolling Stone managed that space yep. and really was the dominant player, I did launch a magazine at one point yeah. uh, against one of the most dominant magazines ever in a genre. That was
0: when you were at ESPN
1: and launching against Sports Illustrated. Yes, yeah. and the results I think were pretty uh, pretty excellent, and I think that experience will serve me well uh, as I think about how to grow the zone, how to create a disruptive company, grow a company. I learned many things, both at those jobs. I've been an entrepreneur. I've worked at small companies. Uh, Most of the things I need to do now, whether it be do rights deals, whether I think about how to do digital content, how to think about having a workforce that comes from the most diverse possible pool of people are all things I think you'll see replicated at the zone. That what, that what, what's
0: what's sort of day-to-day different? I mean, I imagine everything, but sort of what's the— what's? I just imagine there's almost a whiplash from going to running this giant entity, which is then part of a bigger entity at Disney, to perf- working—running a, a much
1: more nimble thing. Yeah. So if, you, if I approach it sort of exactly as you ask it, day-to-day, yeah. it's dramatically different, right? I mean, it's a little bit of a reverse mirror. And, of course, I'm a pretty optimistic person. I can make the case that— being part of a big company, had great resources, fun. It's fun to be in a position of influence and and power. But it's a lot of fun to be at a place where it is more nimble, where you do have a greater freedom, where you get to make decisions in a hurry and move on. And uh, I'm not, while I'm an operating chairman, I'm not spending my time w- thinking about many of the things that I've done running companies before. I'm trying to concentrate on strategy, on overall direction, organization. We talked about that a bit, what to do next, how to do it. Uh, I'm not taking notes on the production of live events and passing them along to uh, anybody. I'm going to try to avoid that. Look, one thing— um, But
0: you're, you're in the—I was reading a sports business journal piece about you negotiating a, a rights deal, and, and, and you were going to leave, and then you, you flew mm-hmm. back, or you didn't fly back, and you uh-huh. only had one chair pair uh-huh. of underwear, and you had to go buy more on uh-huh. Rodeo Drive.
1: I really don't want to discuss my shorts. That does not um, seem like a
0: good place to buy underwear, by the way. The uh, Rodeo Drive, yeah. it's an expensive place. That's what I was going to say. Um,
1: the, it's a true story, and um, but it doesn't contradict what I just said because we think that is potentially a transformational deal for us. And so, I'm perfectly prepared. Uh, nobody's ever questioned my work ethic. I'm perfectly prepared to dive in and do anything. That was a de- I would deal with, uh, with Oscar De La Hoya. Yeah, uh, yeah. It was a deal with. Um, started with a guy named David Tetru and uh, Eric Gomez, and Oscar were intimately involved as well. as Some other team there. I had some good help from a couple of folks at Zone. So um, it it is it is fact, as it was reported, which is we did—I did stay with a little bag, and uh, I understood that my advantage was I was in the room. They had a ticking clock, which is their deal. Uh, Their uh, current television production deal runs out December 31st. They have a fight on December 15th. They have to figure out where to put. The aha moment was when um, I looked across the table at Oscar and Eric and David and said— We are only interested if Canelo will fight on DAZN, and DAZN exclusively. And they said, we would be happy to hear what your proposition is for that. Uh, And it was those words kind of in my ear as I sat in the uh, American Airlines lounge that I thought, well, if they're prepared to hear the proposition, I don't know why I'm going away to go figure out what that proposition
0: is. And this, this seems like a good counterpoint to, or a good way to underscore the difference between what life was like at ESPN and, and where you are now, because I'm assuming at ESPN it was very difficult to get a lot of rights deals done, but in the end you had a nearly unlimited bag of money. You could almost always outbid the competition if you wanted to, and you pretty much got every deal you wanted, I think, for a long time. And here you've— you don't have—you're owned by a billionaire, but you, that's Len, Leonard Blavatnik. Did I pronounce him correctly? Yes. Thank you. Uh, but you're scrappier, and, and you can't just show up and win.
1: Well, I was always pretty scrappy, I yeah. think, and I do not want to characterize my days there as you did. I got a lot of freedom— I wouldn't, I wouldn't suggest that I felt particularly shackled or involved in bureaucratic difficulties, um, nor would I accept the characterization that I had an endless bag of money. But you had a lot of it. Uh, um, we had a very successful business. Yeah. Um, we spent it wisely and appropriately and effectively. Now, I have to be a little more creative, and I think was creative in thinking about the fact that the one place where people pay for sports content is pay-per-view boxing. So there is a pool of money that exists there. About $250 million was spent on Canelo Alvarez's last three fights. I now have to find those people, not a trivial marketing task, and convince them that what they were paying $80 a pop for is much more effectively and economically purchased by getting a ten dollars subscription. Yeah, we should we should back up and explain what, what
0: the service is we have, it's, So we It's ten bucks a month. So let me we, yeah. first
1: of all, you got again. I, you you'll hear me. I started to say see, but I guess you don't see it on a podcast. Although I see you, we'll be a picture. I'm going to consistently go back to trying to explain this as a global company. And as a global company, we have different permutations of a service around the world. It looks one way in the United States, but what it is is an over-the-top streaming service to sports fans. It intends to aggregate content, so it's not a single-sport proposition for the most part. It's not in a linear, linear network. heavy in the U.S. right now. It is because opportunistically That's what we can buy right now, and I think where we could buy something that we could turn into a subscription, which is that is what we care about. Um, again, I'm not going to see cable distributors— Right now, when we can talk later about it, we're not. There's no advertising on the service. So our task right now is to find content that is available that we can buy wisely and turn it into subscriptions. And in the U.S., that is fights. And pay-per-view is money people spend, which I think they'll spend on a subscription. And that's why we did— the Alvarez deal.
0: Traditionally, but, the model for, for boxing and, and also wrestling and MMA is you've got smaller fights throughout the year, and they build up mm-hmm. towards a big fight, and you pay 70 80 $100 to the cable distributor to watch mm-hmm. that particular fight. Right. And you're saying, instead of doing that, just pay us 10 bucks a month. We'll give you everything you need the whole time. You
1: don't have to buy another pay-per-view fight. That's correct. And what we're going to do is ag- we are aggregating a large inventory of fight content. You know, we were partners with Combate and Bellator and the World Boxing Championships so that you have a fairly—if you're a boxing fan, you get a steady diet of fights. I think the pay-per-view model was an excellent model for some number of people to make a lot of money for a while. It did end up choking off the interest in boxing because uh, the, the biggest events of the sport were taken basically out of the view of most of the public— And sold to people for eighty. You had to decide
0: if you were going to spend eighty bucks, or your friends were going to pull it together, or whatever it was. You had to make a decision to lay out a bunch of cash on a one-time deal.
1: It's a great business model, but when you think about a sport as popular as boxing, which puts a limit on their audience of about a million to a million and a half people to watch their biggest events, we get you know you get that for mid-level college football games, and you get that for a mediocre NBA game. So what they've done with the height of their sport is to choke it off. Now, what we will do is return it to available to anybody who wants to buy a subscription, $10 a month. is pretty economical. Do you
0: think that's why boxing has become a niche sport, or it's become a niche sport for societal reasons, and and the
1: economic model just sort of reflects that? No, I think it's become a niche sport because of the economic model. Now, there may be some underlying societal and cultural things that may inhibit in some ways, but I think it's inhibited itself. It's also the fact that the best athletes in the world who fight – don't fight often enough right because they're building up over 6-8 months to a pay-per-view event yeah. uh and uh our hope is that we can get the best fighters it'll mostly be other than the three or four uh top guys to fight more often and regularly own own uh zone so that fans get to know them right which
0: which uh, in the sort of the I know the the, the uh, Ultimate Fighting guys are sort of trying that. They're trying to like incorporate the wrestling model where uh, you get to know the fighters right. more often. They yeah. struggle
1: with that as well. Will they are you, are you a it? boxing fan personally? They, I am now. Yeah. Okay. <laughs>
0: Professionally, bo- look, like, I was
1: a boxing fan growing up. Right. Yeah. I grew up uh, with Muhammad Ali and ABC when you could watch the fights in the afternoon, um, and you actually knew about them. And then when you had the, you know, the confluence of Hagler, Duran, Hearns. And um, Oscar De La Hoya in a time when uh, you, you really cared about all those guys. Yeah, I remember Mike Tyson for me was the last what? sort of person that
0: per- someone who wasn't a fighting mm-hmm. fan would know. Yeah. Who was a, a popular athlete in that sport. Can you name the heavyweight champion of the world right now? Nope. I can't even tell you who Conor McGregor fought in that stunt match last year, even though I wrote about it. Floyd somebody Mayweather. Somebody.
1: There you go. Uh, and the heavyweight champion of the world, which is disputed, of course, another issue, yeah. uh, is Anthony Joshua, who is uh, English of Nigerian descent, and uh, we um, are going to put his fights on his own as well. But one of the issues we have to overcome is that the average even sports fan in the United States does not yet know who Anthony Joshua is. It's disputed because there is a, a, a gentleman named Deontay Wilder, who holds one of the five belts. But do you, do you
0: succeed here by getting a bunch of the existing boxing and fighting fans to pay you 10 bucks a month, or do you need to broaden that audience and go, for this is really going to work, we've got to actually make this a more
1: mainstream sport? We succeed if we can be in enough countries with a good enough product to drive dramatic numbers of subscriptions around the world. In the United States, I think we can drive a million-plus subscriptions uh, with boxing. We are uh, in the process of talking to lots of people about other rights deals, we have no intention to make it a fight, uh, fight network or a fight channel. we will start there. That's where we that's where start. You can with. Aggregate the first million subscribers, begin to look at where there are opportunities that will be, in many cases, um, inventive niche. I mean, just in terms of buying the most popular live events in this country, those rights are. Tied up a long time. Quite part, different. because of what you did at your um, last job. I do run into myself. Yeah. I, I do run into my own deals very often in this new job, like, Oh, which man, is funny, I wish I hadn't uh, done that. Uh, no, no, I have no regrets. Yeah. Uh, there were the right deals to do, uh, and we'll do the right deals to do now for uh, a new service. Uh, but uh, we'll find some things that can drive niche users. We'll try to create some content that people care about uh, going forward. But there are different models in different places in the world. We launched in Japan, and we have uh, the vast majority of live rights in the country already. In in Japan, you sort of are ESPN. In Japan, we are sort of the broadcaster and ESPN. We own the rights, uh, the overwhelming majority of rights to the J League, the Japanese Football League, real football. Yeah, soccer. And not American tackle football. And um, we own the rights to the Baseball League as well.
0: Uh, you guys are a subscription business. We are an advertising business, which means we need to take a break so we can hear from an advertiser. I got a thumbs up from Golda. We'll be right back with John Skipper. Today's show is brought to you by Hilton. When you travel for work, do you stay by the airport or do you stay downtown? Do you take your clients out for dinner? Do you have room service? Should you pack your swimsuit? How do you answer these questions? Just ask yourself, what would the boss do? Here's the answer. The boss would choose Hilton. Hilton has modern meeting spaces and amazing pools and everything else you need to get down to business and a little pleasure. So check out Hilton Hotels and Resorts and travel like a boss. Do you ever wonder how we're streaming millions of movies on demand or doing our banking from the beach? And how are we watching a live mission from Mars? Smart business minds dreamed these ideas, and Amazon Web Services is how they built them. With the broadest functionality and the most experience, the leading enterprises trust the AWS cloud to build the next big idea. Are you ready to build it? Learn more at awsishow.com slash podcast.
1: I'm back here with John Skipper, who has three words he wants to say. Sugar Ray Leonard was the fourth fighter there. I do have kind of Oscar de la on my mind, cause, um, uh, we got that deal done, and he was a prince to work with. So it was uh, it was good fun. Okay, all the boxers
0: in the in the deal are duly noted. I, you know, I, periodically I'll hear from someone in, on your team explaining a new deal they have, and then I have to do a bunch of googling because I don't know anything about boxing, and, uh-huh. I, and I'm a relatively red blooded American sports mm-hmm. fan, and it's just not on my radar. Unless again, unless it's like a stunt fight, like Conor McGregor, right. or maybe once a year I'm mm-hmm. vaguely aware that something happened. Right. Do you think you are going to convince me to become a a boxing fan or are you just there's other people that you're going to spend time who are persuadable.
1: There is a pool of 3 to 5 million people who care about this very deeply and who have paid for a pay-per-view fight in the last 3 or 4 years. We got to find those people so first, convert your, a large number of those people. I think you'll get interested at some point. Anthony Joshua, Deontay Wilder are two fairly spectacular heavyweight boxers. I think we'll spend some time trying to break Joshua through in the country, and you'll likely get more interested. Uh, where will we get you? I have no idea. You'll get it for professional reasons. So there's a bunch of people who are investing in fighting, right? Ari mm-hmm. Emanuel
0: over at Endeavor, Showtime, HBO, mm-hmm. which really built its initial reputation on boxing, announced they're out of the business, mm-hmm. at least temporarily. Mm-hmm. And again, it's not a resource issue for them. It shouldn't be. They were owned by AT&T now. They could— mm-hmm
1: invest as much as they want in this. What do you make of HBO moving away from fighting? I think they understood that the pay-per-view proposition did not move the needle enough for them to remain in and compete, which is basically what Peter Nelson said, right? We didn't make this subjectively. We made it based on analytics and what it does for our business and I think their scripted, high-end content is much more important, and they'll concentrate on that. So We'd rather be, spend our decision. money on Game of Game of Thrones yeah. than a fight. Yeah, and I think they're straightforward guys. I think that's the right explanation, and um, our goal here, clearly stated, is going to be to put pay-per-view fights into the zone. So we will, we believe, create a shortage of those uh, over time, and we'll become an important entity in this sport. I want to back up a little bit. How did you get to this? You were out of work. Did you want
0: to do something in sports? Was that a given for you, or were you thinking about other stuff? You, you,
1: you have multiple talents. You're a learned man. You like reading and writing. I was uh, introduced to Simon and Lynn Levotnik by Michael Linton, who's uh, an old pal of mine and who, in fact, hired me at the Walt Disney Company many, many years ago. Most recently, was running Sony Entertainment. Yes, and. Um, Simon and Lynn felt that they had something in zone which they thought could be explosive and be a big company, and uh, were looking for uh, a compliment to the team they had, and they found me, and uh, I pretty quickly thought it was a great opportunity. And- were you out there saying, I
0: want to do more sports stuff, or were you thinking, maybe I shouldn't be doing sports stuff because I already ran
1: ESPN and there's nothing bigger than that? So. I explored the idea of being a consultant and actually formed an LLC and spent a little time talking to people, got several clients, and resigned all those clients in the first week because it took me about three days. There's at least a couple people who laugh when they hear this. Uh, It took me about three days to realize I'm not a consultant. What makes for for a consultant that you don't have? I do not know. I just know I didn't have it. Uh, I like operating things. I like being in the mix. I like building things and making a difference, and I'm not a great advisor. I'm a little bit more of a doer, and I like the intellectual challenge also of thinking about how to position companies and and drive them. I did talk to a variety of people about other general attainment things and about other companies. Uh, the time between when I met Simon and Lynn and when I took this job, it was less than 30 days. So this struck me very quickly. You were that eager. Doable, fun, exciting, and, uh, and a right way to sort of use the experience I'd had before. And it was a
0: given to you that you were going to do something. You, you didn't think, I'm just going to go off in the wilderness and
1: collect my thoughts. No, I'm not a big wilderness guy either. yeah. Long, long I'm not somewhere. against the wilderness, and I'm generally uh, si- fond of the wilderness. You're living in New York City But now, I do right? live in New York City. Yeah, so strolling uh, around. And I like the action. So, uh, no, nah, it was probably not a serious consideration for me to sit around. So, uh, let's talk about the, the, the
0: circumstances of your departure. Um, you, you announced in December of last year, you said, I'm, I'm leaving, I have a substance abuse issue. A lot of people were, were su- everyone, I think, was mm-hmm. surprised and confused about that. Uh, and then in March, you had this sort of extraordinary interview with uh, Jim Miller, and you said, specifically the reason I, I left is I had a cocaine problem, and someone had sold me a cocaine tried to extort me. Mm-hmm. So when you were talking to other people about taking jobs,
1: what kind of questions are they asking you about, about the circumstances? So uh, I did that interview for a specific reason, and that was to provide a candid and open explanation of what happened, and I have no further comment on it. Yeah. but What, what, what are they asking you, though? uh, A prospective employer. uh, Prospective employers were interested in what I could do for their business, which is what prospective employers are interested in. And I don't think I gave them any reason to be concerned. So you didn't feel like you had a hurdle to jump over there? One of the reasons I did the interview was to provide a candid and open explanation of what happened so that I would not have to... Uh, be confronted with those questions. I feel like you've given this response more than once to someone like me. I have not, (laughs) actually. I designed it exactly for you. Thank you. Because, of course, I haven't done much press in a long time. I'm happy to use your podcast to make it clear to everybody who will ask me that they will get the same answer. Well, I'm going to keep trying just because— I'm sure you will. You're an outstanding— and there's reporters. one. Specific, well, there's a couple of specific things. One, did,
0: did you? You said essentially you were the victim of an extortion plot. Did you, or anyone at Disney, or anyone at ESPN, mm. bring this to some sort of law enforcement and say there's been an extortion attempt here? Uh, I don't have any comment on it. And do you think? that you have laid those questions about you because I think you talked about it in the Jim Miller interview that people were wondering, well, there's, there's got to be some other story here. There's got to be something. This was happening in the meet, the full flush of the, the Me Too stuff that was coming up with Weinstein. Everyone said, well, there's got to be something else. Mm-hmm. And I think you said something to the effect of, there is nothing else. You can check it out. It's mm-hmm. kind of a Gary Hart line. You look all you want. You won't find it no, anything. No, that's a bad example. It is a bad example. I mean, Well, it turns you can the, debate it either way.
1: Four percent of your viewers. You have very smart viewers, I just, I just, but I would challenge. I wonder how many of them actually know. Now let's keep going.
0: You know why? Because they just listened to me interview Jason Reitman, who just made a movie about Gary Hart. Oh, okay. So, so they probably do know. Know. Yeah, hopefully. Some of them will retain that information. Uh, do you feel like that, that worked? That, that, that
1: interview then extinguished those questions? Well, since you're asking yeah. me the question, I'm not sure I can definitively answer whether it did or not, I can definitively tell you I don't have a comment on it. I'm trying to think of how many other ways I can ask this. Uh,
0: do you think that, that uh, had that Weinstein, had the, I keep calling it the Weinstein stuff, had those stories not been out, had that movement not been out, had you gone through what you went through that you would have been in a position where you could have stayed on at ESPN, you could have gone and
1: rehabbed and come back six months later? I don't want to speculate about that. What I will tell you, uh, because this does matter to me in that question, is that one of the reasons I did the interview was to make it clear that as people were searching for answers, it had nothing to do. Uh, My behavior was exemplary relative to how I treated other people in the workplace. There is—I don't recall anybody able to uncover a scintilla of inappropriate behavior— I was a champion of diversity, including getting women in more executive positions, making sure that we had more diversity behind the camera, on the camera, that we had a, a workplace that was open and tolerant and allowed everybody to succeed, and did that. So that does strike sort of a, a strong chord with me. So I'll answer that question, which is that's one of the reasons I did it. I'm not the—you know, it's, it is interesting that you caught yourself immediately and. You know, Mr. Weinstein has yeah. become the poster. Yeah, person. and it was the first story. And
0: and, and the, I think I'm sure probably— was, the I'm m- sure it
1: wasn't the first story. It was a story that began the momentum. That's right. That sort of created a corrective finally, right? I mean, we've, we've lived a lifetime of stories, whether people telling you about something or you're a, a woman who was a friend suggesting yeah. something happen. And it became the moment in which publicly— the tie, I think, and I hope that uh, it began to become corrective, as opposed to just anecdotal, or, or, or said another way, that the burden of proof has shifted. Right, the burden of proof has shifted to making, sh- to uh, believing the aggrieved, as opposed to defending the. Uh, I think the that is true. Maybe it's
0: shifting back again, according to Donald Trump, who's now running on on, on uh, uh, he's using Kavanaugh the, as, a, um, as, a, as a
1: campaign piece. Well, he may be, but. Um, I don't think it has shifted back in, um, in the culture as a whole. I mean, you know, anytime you have dramatic change, societal change, uh, you have ups and downs and fits and starts. I mean, I, I still sit here uh, as somebody who grew up in the segregation, segregated South, sort of astonished at both the progress and the lack of progress simultaneously and contradictorily that we've made on civil rights. It's, it's a good
0: path to go down. I was, I was looking at—you and I did an interview on stage a couple years ago, t- 2016. Uh-huh. We were talking about some of the niche sites you guys were doing, mm-hmm. like 538, and there was one called Undefeated, which mm-hmm. had not launched yet. But the idea was it was going to be a black-run mm-hmm. publication about African-Americans. I said, why are you doing it? And you said— I think there is nothing more important in our culture right now than race relations. Mm-hmm. So that was one example of, of you spending time and effort and money mm-hmm. uh, on that. Other programming efforts I think you made specifically to mm-hmm. sort of bring African-Americans, other minorities, and women uh, on mm-hmm. camera more often. Since you left, there's now this narrative that one of the problems at ESPN was that it was too political. Mm-hmm. Do you think when people are saying that that they mean – you guys spent too much time talking about the Democratic versus Republican Party, or do you think there, that's code or maybe not code for talking about race and, and promoting—having mm-hmm. that discussion on air? The, um,
1: look, I believe strongly in a progressive work environment and a progressive society. And uh, I did not spend any of my time at work thinking about society other than as a context— I spent time at work thinking about what we should do at work, and I've done that every place I've ever worked. And um, that's the only context I think about it in. Now, I personally believe that almost everything you can do that creates tolerance and openness and allows you to hire from a wider pool of talent yeah. is good for business. And the um, I did not feel at any point in time, nor at any position I've had in the past, or the one I have now, that I will do anything that is bad for business. All things are complex, right? And uh, suggest that there's any way to separate the strands of social and cultural and business and finance and progressivism and activism and, and tradition is naive. All these things end up intertwined together. It seemed like w- w- in, under
0: your tenure, you said, I, I for whatever reason, because, in part because I can, I'm going to tip the scale a bit here. i want to I want to make a point of bringing more diversity on air. I want to give Michael Sam, uh, the the college football player mm-hmm. who came out before the draft, and it seems mm-hmm. like he was punished for it. Mm-hmm. I want to give him an award. Uh, I want to give uh, Jenner. Caitlin, thank you. Caitlin Jenner, an mm-hmm. award. And and I want to do that, and and retroactively now it seems like there was pushback against that. Do you think that you made a mistake in promoting a particular social agenda?
1: I made a series of decisions. I didn't have a moment in which I decided to do anything or not doing anything in some sort of programmatic way. I am proud of the decisions I made. I think— They were all in the service of trying to be an open and progressive environment at ESPN, allowing everybody the chance to succeed. And we have given the Arthur Ashe Award. We did give the Arthur Ashe Award to a variety of people who we felt deserved it for different kinds of things that they had done. They were always about acts of courage. It is courageous to take stands relative to the ability of people to be themselves. I agree with you. I'm just wondering
0: how much you heard either internally at ESPN or from viewers or from Disney saying, you don't need to show that kiss. This is the Michael Sam kiss uh, after after he was,
1: what was it, after he came out?
0: Was that the that the that I was mentioned the
1: kiss? that you can get a Zone subscription for just $10 Absolutely. a month? Were there made, I do well, so, Look, that's my way polite yeah. way of saying I have no interest in going backwards and discussing decisions I made or second-guessing anybody yeah. else's opinion on it or speculating on it. I, Fair enough. I think I've asked you a bunch about it. Mm-hmm. You've been pretty clear. Um, I do want to ask and about— And completely the, fairly. I have no
0: quarrel about the, uh, I'm, I'm the question.
1: Glad, I'm glad being I'm being you think my question question's I'm quite straightforward about my interest in discussing it.
0: Today's show is brought to you by Mac Weldon. They make the most comfortable hoodies, sweatpants, underwear, and socks you'll ever wear. If you've listened to the show before, you know that I buy Mac Weldon products myself. I wear a lot of socks from them. Um, they're awesome. There's a line of silver underwear and shirts made from naturally antimicrobial fiber that actually eliminates odor. Mac Weldon believes in smart design, premium fabrics, and simple shopping, and they are easy to buy. Go to MacWeldon.com. You'll get 20% off your order with the promo code RECODE. That's MacWeldon.com promo code Recode. If you don't like your first order, this is amazing. You just keep it. Mac Weldon will send you your money back. It means you get free clothes, but you'll like them. You'll keep them. Get 20% off at MacWeldon.com. Use the promo code Recode so they know I sent you there. That's MacWeldon.com promo code Recode. I do want to talk about what you did at ESPN relative to what you're doing now. Mm-hmm. You talked about this at the beginning. Mm-hmm. You, you did You didn't have an unlimited pool of money, Mm -hmm. but you had a lot of it. Um, You you were quite clear that you were, when we talked in earlier versions of this conversation, that it was very important for you to buy rights so that Rupert Murdoch couldn't buy those Mm -hmm. rights. That was your, your focus. Do you feel in retrospect that all those decisions were the correct ones, given
1: where ESPN is now? I find myself in a dilemma of wanting to answer a question, which I have a good answer to, but not wanting to contradict my previous statement that I'm not interested in revisiting the deals I made at ESPN, uh, but I'm going to, I'm going to not resist the temptation. Yeah. Um, we paid a lot of money for the NBA; it was worth every penny. And any suggestion that that was an overpayment is naive, uh, lacks an understanding of the business. If you overpaid for rights, you've made one of two mistakes: you've negotiated badly. I can guarantee you that there were multiple parties that would have paid more than we paid, so we didn't overpay. Uh, Or you can buy something you don't need. Uh, And I would ask anybody to imagine a current ESPN without the NBA. Would they be better off or worse off? They would be worse off. So it was a good deal. So now,
0: going to your current job, you look at a world where in the U.S., because of your work at Mm ESPN— Many of those rights are owned by one company, and a lot Mm -hmm. of the other big rights are owned by other Mm -hmm. large companies. Presumably, at some point, you will be interested in pursuing an NFL deal Mm -hmm. or an NBA deal. Mm -hmm. Um, When those come up, Mm -hmm. given that there's been an overall sort of decline in sports viewership— do you think those rights will be more affordable than they have been in the past? Or do you think they'll be more expensive because the Googles and Apples and
1: maybe Mm -hmm. the soft banks the world will want to buy in? Let me sort of go around and answer it a couple of different ways. The first is, again, I'll go back to we're a global company. Um, We are interested in the things that move the needle the most. In Italy, we bought 30% of Serie A, which is by far the most important Content there. So that's what we would like to do. It's Italian soccer. Italian soccer. And um, consequently, we have a very successful, about two month launch of a service in Italy where we are at this point in the Italian football season, one of the two sports media companies that matters the most. In Japan, we bought the rights to the two most important domestic leagues and we are arguably the most important service there. In Germany, we're one of the three most important services because we have European football and uh, American sports content and other um, uh, soccer and and products from around the world and uh, we can create that kind of business in this country. Uh, You can naturally assume that we'll be interested in the rights that move the needle most. We are here to establish the brand, to demonstrate the technological platform, and to to be here and be in business. This is going to be more iterative than uh, I was used to, right? I was used to a um, sort of a full-on assault methodology. This is going to be, you know, we're going to pick up pieces pieces as we can. So we'll be interested in, in everything. And so, I get the, that, so I get
0: that that's the case, but when, when an NFL deal comes up yeah. in a couple of years? Yeah.
1: See, I was going go yeah, to go answer, on to answer a second part, which was, gee, are they going to be less expensive, more expensive? Again, it matters where you are in the world, right? There are places in the world right now where because pay TV was never as uh, penetrated as it is in the United States, where rights costs are stagnant, even declining, So, we will look to take advantage of those markets to get in now and try to create a dominant over-the-top position. Do I think sports rights in the United States will go down? No. Anytime in the near future, I do not. Even if the trends, which you're well aware of, Um, viewership
0: for those has been declining.
1: It's only barely about viewership, right? It's really about what you can build or what you can generate in revenue based upon that viewership. While- the sports viewing, I, I don't—I think it's arguable. I don't think sports viewing as a whole is actually down. What's down are the Nielsen ratings on the big events, on broadcast networks, and on cable television. Uh, lots of people are choosing to watch different ways, consuming sports in different ways, betting, playing fantasy football. I don't think interest in sports has declined at all. What you just have is a dramatic increase in the amount of content overall that's available the places you can watch it, um, and so consequently the peaks of everything are smaller, right? Yep. Broadcast television primetime is down dramatically more than sports. For uh, a long time, the argument used to be everything is down except for sports.
0: Sports is, is special, and then everyone and sort of realized still special it's special, but if, if people are watching less TV, they're also watching less sports on TV. It's, it's still Special. It yeah. still
1: drives a disproportionate share of interest, passion, viewership. And we think we can create a different business model, which is going to be the business model in the future, take advantage of that interest, go in a direct-to-consumer relationship with the fan, get data from the fan, create new ad models. And we think we're first mover in a lot of places. This country will move last because you have more big sports media companies with more money um, as part of big overall conglomerations, you have the highest penetration of pay television in any country in the world by far. And that's going to decline slowly because there are lots of big companies invested. With a lot to lose. and A lot to you lose. Think they'll, even 100. though
0: you'll hear throat clearing from a bunch of the networks saying, oh, I don't know if we need to be in sports, or, you think when push comes to shove,
1: Oh, I don't think th- I don't think there's anybody at a broadcast network thinking. Oh, we don't need to to be in sports. Uh, the there still is a lot of money in the pay television system. I now, of course, believe it will be disrupted yeah. by new companies. So let me be on the record that uh, it will be disrupted you by can, new you companies. You hear John smile as he says, and, um, but there's still a lot of money. There's a hundred over a hundred billion dollars in distribution fees. That is overwhelmingly." tied to sports, what is must-have content that will keep you from changing your provider or make you change your provider? It starts with sports, sports, and sports. So you spent a lot
0: of time thinking about this at ESPN, and I'm sure you think about it now. When, when do you think you're going to see the guys in Silicon Valley who have really do have almost unlimited amounts of money say, all right, we're, we're in,
1: Well, we're going to pay are, more than the, the TV guys can these, pay? Um, look, these are smart companies. They will come in as soon as they have a compelling reason to buy sports and a compelling strategic imperative that it will drive their business. I don't think that that is self-evident, that it is where they will spend their money. They like everybody else. Everybody loves sports. It's fun. Everybody, when they think about it, goes, be great. Well, some of them don't like it at all. They literally don't understand it. But yeah, the sports guys want them. Right, those sports leagues will say no, no, no. We know every that every time I hear the that they're inevitably coming in. I, I believe that I hear some commissioner of some big league in the United States whispering into reporters' ear that they're coming. And of course, it's good for the leagues. I would be doing the same thing in their position. To have more bidders is always yeah. good. To have only bidders, broadcast and pay and cable television companies who are facing very, very significant issues with their two streams of revenue, to have them as your only bidders, I don't think is a comfortable position for them to be in. They'd like new bidders. I think they would like zone to be a bidder. Yeah. So I don't think we'll have any resistance to our being. Again, we bought the, the Serie A. We bought the Japanese Baseball League, the Japanese Soccer League, and we bought Champions League. And It we owned-
0: seems like when push comes to shove, though, those same leagues, especially the NFL, but uh, I think all of them— still are afraid of moving away from their traditional model where they know they can get 100% reach and they don't have to ask someone to plug in a Roku box or figure out their router. Uh, and it, they're very reluctant to actually make the leap and take their most valuable stuff and make it a digital-only thing that they will sell to Google or
1: Apple. Well, look, they, um, the commissioners of leagues big and small have the obligation to deliver as much money as possible to their constituents— and they have the obligation to try to grow the game and make sure it gets better. And, of course, those two things can be in conflict if you're moving from more widely distributed platforms to less distributed platforms. On the other hand, having a very significant amount of experience in this area, I discover that um, revenue at some point is the more important of those of those tasks. I will tell you a fun anecdote, which is... Um, There was once a moment in time when we were trying to get the college football playoff onto cable television, and we're told that just wasn't possible to do so. And so uh, I devised the strategy of bidding for a cable, to put it on cable, and and I bid to put it on broadcast television. And guess what? The, pad, the bid for cable television was acceptable and it moved to from Fox to ESPN which is some some point in January I'm going to watch Alabama play someone yeah. get, it's Alabama always right uh, oh I uh, I'm not a huge it is, college football, you're always I, I think okay, okay. if you've never watched a college football game for the last five years you're you're always on safe territory at a social event to say I think Alabama's going to win right this year. and
0: that's and that's why I do think that anecdote and Rupert Murdoch launching Fox mm-hmm. by buying NFL rights uh, is why I do think someone, whether it's Amazon mm-hmm. or Facebook or someone's going to go, I-, I hate this idea and I don't like sports, but mm-hmm. fuck it, let's just spend the,
1: way more than the networks can the, They've just got to decide that it makes sense. And I have to say, I, I, I always think it's smart to think as you're trying to, Execute some strategy to think about the people who are your competitors and what are they thinking. Uh, And if I'm Amazon, I'm mostly thinking about sticking to my business and my business is selling things online or getting people to spend their time on Amazon to buy things online. Last time I checked, getting people to Amazon Prime is worth a lot of money relative to a regular customer. So if sports would move people to Amazon Prime, I would assume they would try to do it. Uh, if it wouldn't, I don't know why they would buy sports because they want to be in sports. You, it has are, to be a you are a sports reason. fan. Uh, uh, yes. Do you think it matters that the guys who run tech
0: companies and by and large, I think Tim Cook is a, is, is a outlier here, are not sports fans? Jeff Bezos does not watch sports. as part of his routine. Mark Zuckerberg is not into it. I don't Larry think Page doesn't
1: know what football is. I don't think it's uh, that significant only because there's all whip smart, and if they can do things to grow their business, they will do it. I think you have sometimes the opposite thing, which is you have male executives, particularly at big companies who want to be in sports, Mm -hmm. and will end up making a big deal to name a stadium or to get season tickets or to buy rights because they love to be in sports. Love to be in sports, love to be in that shot of them in the box. Yep. So I do think sometimes exuberant decisions are made. But I think they tend to get made to be in sports when it's not really critical to your business as opposed to anybody not being a sports fan refusing to make a critical decision that would help their business. I don't think that's going to happen. What is the coolest thing you can do now
0: today at this job that you could not do at your last job?
1: <laughs> I don't Besides know, I don't, talk to me. I don't, say, uh, I don't know that I have a, a good answer to that. I, I got to do cool things. You know, I worked at Rolling Stone. I got to do cool things. I worked at Spin. I got to do cool things. I got to do cool things at Walt Disney Company. I get to do very cool things now. What do I get to do that's cool now? Uh, We're a global company. I'm going to Japan the first week in December. We have big business there. I'm very excited about that. Uh, I'm looking at the map of the world And I am at a furious rate putting check marks on places I've never been before because, again, we think this is about scaling up this business. We are right now uh, the global leader in over-the-top sports streaming services. We have more subscribers than anybody else in the world in this Trappers area. How is that? Uh, it's more than anybody else in the world. So whoever <laughs> you can think of, you, whoever you can think of, tell me how many subs they have, we have more. I won't, uh, I won't disclose ESPN that yet. ESPN said they had a million for their
0: ESPN Plus. Did that number surprise you, by the way? No. And we have more than that.
1: Not in the United States. More than a million. Glo- right? I mean, part of it, right, is, is there is... No one else who's a global streaming sports subscription uh, service. We have not given me public numbers. I'm not going to break that precedent here. We have been public because there were some reporting reasons that we have over a million subscribers in Japan. So there you go. More than a million. What what, what else do we need to get to? Oh, I I don't know. You don't want me to use this as a promotional platform. You know, I'm always willing to do so. Did I mention that you could get a subscription to the Zone for just $10, How? which is only— only one-eighth of the cost of a pay-per-view fight? I'm going
0: to keep going back to, to this versus ESPN. So ESPN has a million subs, and in, they were able to do it for a bunch of reasons. One is they moved their insider service that you launched. And and two, but every time I go to the app or anything else, they're pushing this thing. You guys don't have a platform like that where you can put this in front of my face. As powerful as my podcast is, it is not going to get you a, a million people. How are you thinking about figuring out how to navigate that environment where you don't have the same resources to market a product.
1: Again, we have to do a country-by-country strategy, and you're asking me, I think, specifically about our strategy here. Again, it's sequential. We'll have to be opportunistic. We'll have to be smart. We'll have to be inventive. I'm quite confident in our ability to come up with things that will drive subscribers. And it may be a niche sport that'll get us 25,000 subscribers. It may be a piece of regional content that'll get us 16,000 subscribers. Uh, it might be doing a deal with somebody else to merge our assets. It might be, uh, it'd be any number of things. We're going to have to be more um, creative. I, again, I have lots of experience working to try to create a new business out of something. I did that often at a big company, but we still did it the same way you do it before. You have to think of some benefit to the end user. you got to think of some reason that a company wants to do business with you. you got to figure out how to drive a new marketing model.
0: But there is a difference, though, right? Because you can at a Disney or an AT&T or a Google brute force your way into X number of subs. You can buy that many billboards you can pair up with Spotify there's
1: lots of ways to do it that that, that you guys could theoretically do but it's much harder for you to do you've read Malcolm Gladwell on David and Goliath and certainly Goliath has some uh, has some significant advantages Uh, and he writes about and you've read it that what you have to do is to get your competitors to either play in your arena when they really shouldn't or you have to get let them concentrate on what is important to them, and those tend to be big things. They tend to be uh, sometimes protective things, and you have to work on things they're not thinking about. I don't actually think—I I don't know of anybody else who asked uh, Golden Boy if Canelo would move his fights off of pay-per-view. And uh, so we have to do that again. We have to figure out, and it'll be one thing at a time, uh, and I can— Pretty much guarantee you that you will not get to the end of the year before you hear about a couple of other things where we'll do something that's a little bit disruptive, that's a little bit fun, a little bit opportunistic. John, you look like you're enjoying yourself. I am enjoying myself. This is fun. Again, I've never worked anywhere where I didn't have fun. I generally (laughs) do. But there is a liberating aspect to being able to be disruptive, and it's fun to be the first person— uh, or to work at a company that's doing something first, and these guys—and again, my hats off to to uh, Simon and his team. These guys are doing this first. It kind of uh, astonishes me. You know, sometimes good ideas—you go, and why didn't somebody else think about it and start doing this? Well, people have been asking, you know, asking Netflix forever. When are you
0: guys going to do sports? And they've got a very specific reason why they're not going to do it. It is interesting that no one has tried to do
1: a. International was, sports was, streaming look service. it's complicated. Including the technology to do this is very complicated. And uh, uh, you heard Brian Rolap at one point say, "Gee, we need these companies to get better because if we're ever going to put the NFL on them, it would break the internet. It would." Uh, when we uh, were looking at BAM Tech, we looked at the universe of Back companies, uh, the universe of companies that could do this, and the two that could do it were BAM Tech and Perform. Those are two companies that have an end-to-end solution for how you. So you bought one of them, and you're working at the other one. All right, it is a funny, uh, yeah. funny thing. Again, back to you know what I learned at other places. It turned out to be important here. I did learn that Perform had a, and it's the by the way, it's the first time I met Simon was back talking to them about their platform, and they were looking for investment in the time. But it's not trivial, you know. And even the big companies you talk about stub their toes. Right, uh, the U.S. Open experience in England, I don't think was a comfortable experience uh, for Amazon. Uh, there have been many the other World Cup broke for YouTube this summer. The, these things are hard, yeah. and what's hard about it is scaling a simultaneous live event to a lot of people. We we scale we do it quite regularly at over a million viewers uh, to people. The Anthony Joshua fight worldwide had more than a million people watching concurrently. We believe we can do ten million, and uh, of course. We're busy preparing to do 15 and 20 million, and as long as we can stay ahead, we have technology ahead, we're first mover, we get launched, and you'll you'll hear us announce next year, our goal next year is to be in 20 countries before the end of 19. We're in seven now. So uh, you'll see us moving quickly in other places in the world. You'll see us active at acquiring rights in the world. You'll see us improving our technology. We know we can continue to improve our our product, and we'll do that, Uh, and you'll see all that, and I'll be happy to come back on uh, uh, six months from now, and we'll talk about all that. John, how much is a zone subscription? I believe you could buy one for $10 in the United States, and something fairly equal to that in yen in uh, Japan, and I was, I'm was, i tempted to say think Lira, we don't, but they no longer have Lira. I don't Lira think we have they have a lot of Japanese listeners.
0: We have, we have people in other countries, but not, not a lot of Japanese listeners for some
1: reason. But, uh, and there's no Deutsche Mark anymore either, so... Euros, yen, ten dollars in the U.S. Canadian they could make dollars. a check available to you, or they could go online. Uh,
0: they, I'm trying to keep I would
1: think they would go online. Go on, go to the app store, download the DAZN app. You can get a free month. Second month is only ten dollars. Divide that by two; it's five dollars for the first two months, and you're off and running. You're bouncing in your chair. Thank you, John. Thanks for coming <laughs> on the podcast.
0: Thank you, Peter. Thanks to you guys for listening. If you like this, it's a free it's a free service. All we ask is that you tell a friend. It's not $10. It's free. If you feel extra generous, you can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you are listening to this podcast. Thank you. Thanks to our sponsors. Thanks to Cadence 13 and Vox Media who bring those sponsors to you so you can listen to Recode Media for free. Joel Robbie edits the show. He's great. And so are my producers, Golda Arthur and Eric Johnson. This is Recode Media. We will see you soon.
1: Today's show is brought to you by Smartwater. Not satisfied being like other brands, Smartwater looked up into the clouds and said, I wonder if we can one-up Mother Nature for
0: a purer, crisper water. And guess what? They did. This is the kind of water that regular water gets jealous of. And it's the water that refreshes like no other brand. Try it. Smartwater. Vapor distilled for purity. Electrolytes for taste.